<laughs> well, we're uh, continuing our series on the good and beautiful life. And uh, I just want to challenge everybody that in this book, that, you know, it, it, the way that it's written and the way that you would go through it, I, I tend to go through every single chapter probably five times. Um, simply because I'm preparing the message and I'm just allowing the Spirit of God to speak to me. And it kind of is, is uh, you know, if you'll allow that peeling back of different layers and allow the Holy Spirit to be, begin to do you. How many know that's a great way to study the Word of God as well? There are times when you can stay on one verse for a long period of time and God will unpack things in you and around you that are quite incredible. So learning to live without anger is what we're talking about today. And somebody laughed because they probably struggle with anger. <laughs> so we've been talking about the kingdom of God, the invitation uh, of pe for all of those to come in. And, and, you know, whether you're poor, whether you're hungry, whether you're, you're whatever you are, if you're even angry, you're invited to come into the kingdom of God, which is good news for me. Um, because if I struggle with one sin area, it's anger. And you're saying, well, Pastor Greg, come on now. No, I'm not an angry person by nature. I'm really not. My wife would attest to that. I'm actually really, I'm fun to be around. We have great laughs. I just have this kind of like reactive anger, weird thing, Jekyll and Hyde issue in my life. It's like, hey, ah, where did that come from? So apparently I have to really study this chapter. Amen? <laughs> so here's my questions that I've asked why I listened to this chapter probably five times. Why do I react with anger? What triggers it, Lord? How do I overcome and ultimately start to live without anger? Because according to the Word of God, this may shock you if you deal with different issues. By the way, what I'm about to teach today applies to any sin issue. I'm going to deal with anger today, but as we go through the rest of these, you're going to see, okay, that actually applies to that as well. That actually applies to that as well. But we're going to look at that and see that according to Jesus, it's actually possible to live without anger. Now, I'm not talking about righteous anger. But the reality is, is that most of us, what we deal with anger, it's not righteous at all. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your help. Holy Spirit, come. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and respond to you, Lord. There is such great truth in the word that we're about to look at today. So I pray, Spirit of the living God, that all of us would be laid bare before you so that we might be free and victorious in Christ's name. Amen? Jesus, of course, talking about anger in Matthew chapter 5, uh, you know, he says, you know, you have heard it said, do not murder, but this is what he says, I tell you that if you're angry with anyone so, as your brother or sister, you are guilty of murder. Carelessly call your brother idiot, and you may find yourself hauled into court. Call him stupid and a sister stupid, and you're in the brink of hellfire. The s simple moral fact is that words kill. And so when we see that Jesus actually, in the Sermon on the Mount, church, he's, he's making it more difficult. He's not making it easier. 
he's saying to us, you're all invited into the kingdom of God, no matter what you are struggling with, but understand something, you cannot live the Christian life on your own. You must have the empowerment and the relationship with the Holy Spirit in order to overcome and to live victoriously in this life. So we've said this before, Jesus is actually filling up the law. He's showing us the impossibility of living life without his strength and without his help. One of the great scriptures in the Bible on the issue of anger and where we're going to camp today is James chapter 1. Let me read a portion of it, verse 19. We're going to go all the way to 20-something, but uh, 26, but hang in there. James chapter 1 says this, My dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purposes. Man's anger does not bring about God's righteous purposes. Now, why do I start here? This is the most critical first stepping point for you to grasp that maybe you have an anger issue. Because most men and women think their anger is righteous. We know that not all anger is wrong, so immediately we begin to excuse our anger and uh, say, well, that is a righteous response to what has happened to me. And we know that there is righteous anger, but very little of our anger is righteous, even though we think it is. Ouch. Because anger is very self-centered. It's very myopic. It sees from the perspective of why I responded the way I did. When I get angry in those moments of explosive anger, don't worry, I'm not violent, I'm not those things, I'm just verbal. Verbal diarrhea, right? You understand that? Blah! Oh, I can't take that back, it's all over you, let me, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry. Can never getting that picture out of my head again, Pastor. Well, that's good, maybe it'll help you. See, I'm going to tell you, sometimes I feel righteous in my anger. I feel, I feel there's been a boundary violated. I feel there's a just reason why I'm angry. Uh, it, during, you know, I, I, I can tell you that when I have an angry outburst, my immediate first thought is not that was wrong. And, uh, you know, it's actually my first thought is why did I do that? Because there's a reason for it. And it's usually me justifying myself. I'm just going to confess sin today. Here we go. According to our text, it said this, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath or to anger. You see, the thing about anger and wrath, they come from being self-centered. But actually being slow to speak and quick to listen is entirely others-centered. It just is. And so this is the problem. I can be in a discussion with my wife and she will say something or do something and I'll have a reaction to that. And I'm going to tell you, my first response is not to slow down and listen to her. 
my first response is to formulate why I just did that. And how many of you know there's no life there? With God or with your wife? Have you ever been there where you're like, I, I, I'm not kidding you. There have been times when I feel like I'm standing with God. And together we're looking at my wife and saying how unreasonable you are. And Jesus is standing there next to me. You tell her, Greg. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus, I know. The woman you put here with me. <laughs> and apparently that's not Jesus at all standing next to me. Oh my goodness. See, here's the thing. When I actually listen, because I, I, I'm going to tell you a little secret about my life. I hate relational conflict. So even though I'm an idiot and I've created this problem, I will do whatever it takes to get it right. So then I'm forced to listen to my wife as to why something she said that I thought she meant this, but she didn't. And I'm going to tell you guys, it's incredible to me on every single occasion, maybe once I was right, but 997 times I was wrong. There was something I missed, something I thought she said, something I thought she meant, you know, and so that's the problem. It doesn't work. And so the reality is, is most of my anger is not righteous. The vast majority like, I can only name maybe a few moments when it was righteous. And even Jesus' life, you guys. How many of you know when Jesus had righteous anger, uh, how many of you know he was slow to respond even when he had righteous anger? You know, when he, when he turned the money temple over, remember that? When he turned the coins in the temple over? The Bible says he took the time to braid a whip. And it wasn't like, ah, it was like, Lord, Father, is this sure you want me to flip the money tables over? Okay. Yes, son. And that, that righteousness was building up in him. You understand? We're going to look at Jesus' life in a minute, but how do, how do I change? How does Greg Fraser get to a point where, you know, where he can have an idea of how to control even these outburst moments? James chapter 1 goes on and tells us and says these things. So this is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. Instead, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our hearts, for the word of life has power to continually deliver us. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like a person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, and then you go out and forget everything you've seen or your divine origin. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear 
and are strengthened by it, they experience God's blessing in all that they do. See, when I first read this scripture, you know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, uh, I actually don't like it. Because telling a drowning man that he's drowning does not help him. Saying, you have an anger issue, you should be slow to speak. I know. <laughs> you understand? So there's got to be something more in this scripture. There's got to be something better to help me to overcome anger. And so that's what we want to look at today. Our text said this, the word of God is a mirror. It reflects two things. And the first thing it reflects is this, the truth of what we have done or said or thought. See, the first thing the mirror of the word of God reveals, church, it reveals your old nature. It reveals where you have fallen short. It reveals sin in you. It reveals things. And so if you don't understand that, if you don't understand that the first thing that comes when I look into the word of God is a revelation of where I'm falling short. Now, a lot of times it's a revelation of God's love, God's mercy, but eventually as you dig into that word, it's going to reveal different things in you. And one of the first levels or layers is the revelation of this old nature. And if you don't understand that, you are not going to go to the second level. You're not going to go deep enough to re receive the transformation that can come through the word of God. You see, Adam and Eve are a great example of this. They're walking with God and in the Garden of Eden, you know the whole story, and sin enters the picture, and what happens is they feel shame, they cover, they hide from one another, and they hide from God. And then God comes in the garden, and he doesn't like come tearing them apart. He doesn't come and say, you dirty, rotten, sinner, Adam. You know what he says? Where are you? Do you know how Adam reacts to that? Anger. The woman you put here with me gave me the fruit and I ate it. I'm innocent. Just take another rib and start over. <laughs> Isn't that true? He covers up, he hides. When God just asks him a question, he begins to justify his behavior, blame, push. The problem is this doesn't work. You know, you can have a fight, let's say, in your marriage or in your, with your significant other in, your com in a relationship you're in. And... Uh, you can go away and think about your response to that person. And you formulate this perfect argument. How many know that doesn't work? Neither God nor your significant other is impressed by that formulation. And it's not until you press through all of that and come to a place of humility that you can actually receive grace. You see, the problem with me justifying myself or excusing my anger, as in this case, is that God resists the proud. He resists me when I do that. 
But if I will be humble, he will give me grace. Which is a beautiful and incredible place that all of us need to be. So here I am, and, and Greg Fraser's being exposed, showing that thing, the revelation of the word is coming to him, saying you were inappropriate, that anger was unjustified, you need to repent, go to your wife and pray, and I say, yes, Lord. It's the first layer. See, the problem is, in the word that we read said, you perceive how God sees you in the mirror of his word, but then you go out and forget what you've seen. You forget your divine origin, which is the second layer of the depth of when we get into the word of God. Not only does it reveal the truth of what we've said or done or thought, it then reveals the truth of who we are and what we were intended to be. See, as we gaze deeper into the book, and as we gaze deeper into the face of Jesus, and as we spend time like in things like worship, you know, we are gazing, we are looking to the Lord, and as we look deeper, we see past our failed intentions, and we see what we were always intended to be. God's children, his beloved. That's what we're to see. See, if I only go to the first level, this is so critical. See, it doesn't matter what sin you're dealing with. I'm talking about anger today, but pick any sin you want. If you only go to the first level, this is what you're going to do. You're going to see that sin, and then you're going to do the stupidest thing. You're going to try and fix it on your own. I can fix this. No. Then you do the second thing. You promise to never do it again. How's that going for you? <laughs> then you do the next thing. You cover. You blame. You hide. You justify. It doesn't give you any life, does it? Amen? It just doesn't give you life. The problem is, is when we stop at the surface level of the revelation of that we're broken, we don't have the power then to fix by partnering with God, which comes through the second level of revelation, which is your identity in Christ. See, identity has to do with three things. Acceptance, which is being regarded favorably, approved of, or confirmed, significance, the quality of being important, the quality of having notable worth or influence, and security, free from the fear or distrust, confident, easy in mind, assured in opinion or expectation, having no doubt. How many of you don't want to be, have a great identity? You want to be, know that you're accepted, that you're secure, and that you're significant. Amen? How many of you know that in our world today, everything that we find acceptance, security, and significance from is being shaken? That's why there's such violence today. That's why there's such explosiveness. That's why there's such anger. So God is wanting to redefine us in those three issues 
And we do that by understanding, first and foremost, who we are connected to. You see, Jesus was secure in his identity. Listen to the scripture, and I'm going to explain it after I read it. This is the Last Supper. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Okay. Understand the context of this scripture and tell me if you would have gotten angry if you were Jesus. Okay? Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. Now, he knows everything that's going on around him. He knows that tomorrow he's about to be crucified. He knows that that night the sins of the world are about to be placed on him in the Garden of Gethsemane. So stressful is that he literally bursts blood vessels in his head. He knows that Judas, whose feet he washes, is about to betray him. He knows that Peter, who claims to have an undying love for him, is about to deny him three times to a little schoolgirl. He knows that all the disciples are about to scatter. Talk about pressure. Talk about a guy who you would say, you need to get angry. Like, <laughs> so in the story, follow me. He's waiting, he's watching, seeing if the disciples get it. You see, they've come into the house, and we know this through history, that, you know, when you came into a home in the Mediterranean, your feet would be washed because they sit on tables that are at the floor level. They're, they're basically kneeling. So you would wash the feet because there are smells and different things. And so people would take, you know, the place. Uh, there would always be a servant to wash feet. And if there was no servant, the wife would take the place or a child would take the place to wash the feet. There's neither wife nor child nor servant. So Jesus waits to see if one of the disciples will take the place of a servant. No, no, they jockey for who sits next to him. And then the Bible says the meal is served, and then Jesus got up. <sighs> Took off his outer garment. I mean, can you imagine the pressure that's on this guy? They still don't get it. Three years. Three years I've been teaching. Father? <laughs> no, he's not stressed. In the most stressful moment of his life, he uncovers and he washes the feet of his disciples. Can you imagine having that kind of identity? So firm, so secure. I don't know if you caught that in the text, but those three things that I mentioned, Jesus had in spades. See, the text said he knew that he had, that all power was under his authority. He knew that. So what does that make him? Significant. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator and the sustainer of all life. They all should have been worshiping him and washing his feet, whatever he wanted. No, no, no. He just is significant. There's no power struggle with him. 
He doesn't have to defend himself. He doesn't have to prove himself. He has authority. And when you know that you have significance, you don't need to hold on to it and fight for it. He knew where he had come from, that he was accepted. That's an incredible thought. He knew where he had come from. He knew that he was born of God. He knew that he was of the Father. He knew that he was in relationship. He knew that he had come from heaven. He knew that he was the king of kings. He knew it all. He knew and he was accepted. And this is an incredible thought. And so from that point, because he knew this acceptance from God, he was able to serve because he was also secure. He knew where he was going. That's the word security. He was completely secure to serve those who should have served him because he had nothing to prove, nothing to earn. It was already all his. Wow. You see, he knew he was going back to the Father. This is so cool. You want to talk about significance and you want to talk about acceptance and you want to talk about security. He was going back to the Father because he had gained the prize, or he was about to gain the prize for which he came, which was you and me. Talk about a guy who was secure, <laughs> accepted, significant. You see, the evil response of Judas in betraying him didn't move him. The proud and stubborn response of the disciples didn't move him. His identity was so firmly fixed in his identity and the Father's love, acceptance, and significance. He's not moved by the things that you move you and I. So, Pastor Greg, how then do you begin to go deeper in the mirror of the Word to begin to be changed? Well, the first thing you do is you meditate, meditate on your identity in Christ. See, this is what this text told us, but those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. You see, here's the thing. I don't care what sin issue you struggle with. I care about you, but I don't care about that issue because... The solution is the same. You need to start focusing on who you are in Christ. You and I are accepted by God. This is who you are, you guys. You are God's child, John 1.12. You are God's friend, John 15.15. 15. You're a member of the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12.27. God chose us. He delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom that, of the Son that he loved. He adopted us into the family of God, Romans 8.17. You cannot be more accepted than you are. God chose you right where you're at. In all your brokenness, in all your anger, or whatever sin you want to plug into the equation that you've been hiding, covering, justifying, God is saying, I accept you. Wow. That's power. And you are secure. This is what he says in his word about you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have forgiven your sins, Greg, and cast them as far 
as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness where it will be remembered no more. That is security. <laughs> Hallelujah. I am free from condemnation. The law condemns me every time I fail. When I only peer into the surface level of the word, it condemns me. So no wonder I hide and justify and blame. But if I dig deeper, I realize that I'm in Christ and there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. So good. I'm secure. I'm assured that all things work together for good. Oh, that's a good assurance, isn't it? I cannot be separated from the love of God, Romans 8. I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me, 1 John. That's good news. Amen? You have to think about this, guys. You've got to dig this out. You've got to let the Holy Ghost come and put this in. So the first thought you come to is, I'm accepted, I'm secure, and I'm significant. I wish you could understand this. The least in the kingdom of God is greater than the greatest person in this world. And that person, on a day that's coming very soon, would trade everything a thousand times over for what you have today. You are significant. You've been chosen by God to go and bear fruit. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. For goodness sakes, the Bible says you are ambassadors of God and ministers of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What do you do for a living? I'm a plumber. I'm a pastor. I'm a candlestick maker, baker, whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, can we get to the, can we get to the point? I mean, this is, I know it's weird. Could you get there? You're a peculiar people, the Bible says. Could you say, man, I'm an ambassador for the kingdom of God. How are you doing? Come on in, the water's warm. That's who you are. That's who you are. If God's people could but grasp their significance, the salt of the world, the light of the earth, God's temple, the Holy Ghost dwells in you. Man, Jesus conferred on you and I the same authority that he had. And he said, go and serve in the various places and parts and congregations of God's people and represent the kingdom of God. If we could but think about that. Listen to what James Bryan Smith says in the book. Kingdom narratives are based on the reality of the presence and power of God. For Jesus, the kingdom was not simply a nice idea, but a very real place. Life with God, which is available to all. Listen to this. Outside the kingdom of God, we are on our own. We must protect ourselves, fight for our rights, and punish those who offend us. But inside the kingdom of God, life is much different. God is with us, protecting us, fighting for our well-being. Knowing this, much of our anger will diminish. Amen? So there we are, we're 
beginning to dig deeper in the Word, we're peering deeply into the Word, we're meditating, we're learning. Our identity is not what we think it is. It's not in this world. It's in the kingdom, which is good. And the second thought that flows from being wanting to be like Christ is to be humble and vulnerable. You see, in the story of the Adam and Eve, Adam covered and hid and blamed and justified. But what did Jesus, who is called the second Adam in the Bible, what did he do? He uncovered. The Bible says he, he took off his outer garment. He became vulnerable. He's wearing his underwear, basically. He's humbling himself. He's becoming vulnerable. You see, the key to life in the kingdom of God, no matter what sin issue you're dealing with, is first and foremost to uncover, to confess it, and to lay it before the Lord. See, humility, guys, listen to me. Humility is not humiliation. Humility is having an accurate assessment of yourself. Humility says... I have an anger issue, that's, that's accurate, but humility then says, but I am a child of God, and I can overcome this because the power of the kingdom of God lives in me. See, humility is having that accurate assessment of the truth of your situation, but the truth of who you are in Christ. And vulnerability is that openness and honesty, what am I doing here today? today i am being vulnerable with you <laughs> amen i'm sure i told my wife when this chapter came up i do not want to preach this chapter i'll preach it like peter you want to preach this chapter you're you're better than i am but the holy spirit said no this is the chapter you need to preach on greg because this is the one you need to live see vulnerability listen to this this is uh, irene brown from daring greatly is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. Wow. I'm being vulnerable to you. I'm trusting you with this. Why? So that it can help you. Because I'm secure. I'm okay. Even if you go away and gossip about me and say, I knew he was angry. I could see it on him all the time. He laughed, ha, ha, ha. He's so funny. He's an angry guy. <laughs> you can do that. You can take my vulnerability and you can do whatever you want with it. I don't care. But I hope you take it and say, wow. I guess I can be vulnerable with sexuality. I can be vulnerable with you name the sin. It's all good. See, Jesus washed their feet in his vulnerability. The king of kings washed their feet. The Lord, who is about to go to the cross, washed their feet. I was going to do a foot washing today. My wife knows me well enough. I will do it no problem because I've done it several times. And I think it's one of the most humbling, beautifully beautiful experiences to wash somebody's feet physically literally to take their shoe off peel off their sock wash their feet and dry it 
But my wife said, please don't bring me up on stage and wash my feet. I said, honey, if the Holy Ghost tells me to bring... But I think he has a different idea and a different plan. And that's okay. Washing feet is that beautiful moment of where we can serve the people that lie right in front of us. I've told you I've done those foot washing ceremonies several times to people. And I'm telling you, something breaks in the spirit realm. It's crazy. And my daughter phoned me once. The band can come back now. My daughter phoned me once from Australia. She was taking YWAM. And uh, G- Betty, or, sorry, Michaela is like a high justice person. Justice is a huge issue to her. So she phones me and she says, Dad, the leaders are being very unreasonable with the students. I listened. I didn't speak right away. I said, oh, well, what's going on? Well, they won't let the guys go into the girls' room, and the girls go in the guys' room, and something like that. And it was accurate, close. See, I told you, you should have told the story. You should have told the story. Anyway, point is this. Point is this. Michaela wouldn't tell the story, so this is the Greg Fraser version of the story. Anyhow, there was, there was conflict between the students and the teachers and the instructors. So she's telling me the unjust things that are happening, and I only read this scripture. I said, honey, I, I don't know, but maybe Jesus can give you the, the wisdom of what to do here. And I just told her about washing feet and how it's helped me in my life and my ministry. Do you know that the next morning at 6 a.m., the leaders were doing devotions, and Michaela got out of bed early. She went with her little bottle of water, and a towel and she told the leaders I need to wash your feet and they were stunned so here's this student who's got this high justice thinks they're wrong but she humbles herself and she washes her feet and I'm gonna tell you what she told me is that it broke something over the entire discipleship school every student then began to honor their leaders church we're in a time right now where the kingdoms of this world are shaking. And God is calling us to serve one another. And there's some foot washing that needs to happen. I'm speaking metaphorically, you can do it in reality. I believe there's foot washing that need to happen to leaders. This has been the most stressful time of my 30 years of ministry, the last two years have been the most difficult in the history of my life. You know, 30% of pastors around North America have quit. 30%. The stress is so enormous on leaders, and that's not just pastoral leaders, that's in businesses, in government. People are like, why would I serve? The stress is so real. We need to wash some leaders' feet. We need to thank them. People say things about our premier, and I just say, wash the man's feet. You don't know the job he's done. You don't know the pressure he's under. You don't know how hard he has worked for you. Wash his feet. I think marriages and relationships, maybe there's some foot washing that needs to happen. 
some humility and some vulnerability, some love. Not justifying, just listening. And I'm going to tell you, in the church of Jesus Christ, there needs to be some foot washing. We have come through an extremely difficult time. COVID is one of those very interesting things because you have two camps. And I'm going to give you a little prophetic word. The devil loves division. He loves it. So the next level where the devil's going to start going, you can get ready for it, it's coming and it's already started, is all the problems the vaccinated people are going to have, all the health issues they're going to get. All I, and you see, the temptation for the church is going to be, I told you not to do that. Duh. Can we end that debate right now? How many of you know it took faith for people to be vaccinated? Okay. Amen. How many of you know it took faith for people not to be vaccinated? <laughs> so whatever side of the equation you're on, it doesn't matter. It's going to take faith to get you through it. Okay? So we're not going to have, we're not going to have the debate. We're not going to have the fight. We're going to pray for people and we're going to say, you're going to live victoriously because you're walking in Jesus and that's who you are and that's whose you are. Amen? That's who we are and that's where we're going, church. Amen? Hallelujah. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to wash each other's feet. When the world wants blood, we're going to break out the water.